0: Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets, ideas change the world. Uh, Those of you who have listened to the great conversation know I'm absolutely intrigued with change. I love the evolution of ideas and how they change cultures and businesses. And so when I can find somebody who is disrupting Um, the way we do things in a particular category, I I glom onto them and I get them into a great conversation by my uh, virtual fireplace here. I wanna introduce you to Michael Zell, the CEO of Yellowbird. Michael, great having you on.
1: Great to be here, thank you.
0: Michael, let's, let's just, first of all, for everybody, let's define what you were doing before you got on the journey of discovering a industry and a process that you could optimize through technology and a a unique business model. But what were you doing before that? And then how did you stumble onto this idea?
1: So, man, my journey is a, a long and interesting one, although I'm only 45 years old. So I guess it hasn't been that long, but I started in technology when I was 15 years old. And as Ron can attest from speaking with me a little bit, I've always had kind of a a way with people. I enjoy interaction. I enjoy talking to folks, getting to know them. I'm not really a, a big party kind of a guy, but I am a good deep conversational kind of a person which has yielded results in my career because I have liked to get to know people deeply and their needs and their wants and their ambitions. And, and that started me in selling computers when I was 15, because I was a doorman and my very first job at a movie theater. And the gentleman who would come in every Friday with his wife would uh, know me. He got to know me. He, uh, he would come out and uh, for a cigarette at the time, you know, I'm not giving any statement regarding that, but I got to know the gentleman when he would do that. So I guess his, his nicotine habit served me well. And by the time a few months went by, he asked me if I knew anything about computers of which I may have told a little white lie. And I said, of course, you know, I'm a young kid and I'm a young kid in the nineties who doesn't know computers. And so he thought I was older. And I uh, started selling computers when I was 15, 16 years old and did very well early on and I just loved it because of what they could do. And I guess that's the, the beginning of my journey is the intrigue with technology and what it can do for people. It's not the technology itself. Some people just love megabits and megabytes and processor speeds and how you know socket layers work and all these interesting things. And I speak the language, I know it, but that doesn't turn me on. What turns me on is when somebody says, Guy, I accomplished what I was trying to do so much better. And thank you for helping me do that, whatever the better happens to be. Well, so is it, a, so, that was the beginning.
0: Go ahead. Well, it's so interesting, Michael, because sometimes we're blessed intuitively with a trait. It, we, it just is part of our DNA. And sometimes we learn it. But I just got off the phone with a senior executive. And more and more senior executives are hiring people that have two things, emotional IQ and of course, IQ—two different things. One is a yes. skill. One's a skill set, yes. right? And the other one is uh, an emotional empathy gene. Uh, that now they want yes. people to learn that, like any other skill. And what you just drove for me is that you have this skill of deeply listening, which probably led to this next step of seeing in the industry and hearing in the industry something that. Maybe could be optimized.
1: You know, it's funny because I would say that I don't really have that unique of a path for most technology younger, again, not that young any longer, but which, by the way, there was a moment in my life when that stopped being something that was a badge of honor for me. And it was a very sad day when I realized I was no longer the young hotshot that was, you know, a tech young guy. And now I'm just a, uh, Another 40-something-year-old guy who's been in tech a long time. That being said, I, my path isn't really that unique. What it is, is I was doing the same job as everybody else is doing, but I always have listened really well and tried to use the technology differently. So I'll give you an example. I eventually got into the, into the fiber world after the, after the computer world. And so it was during the early days of the internet when the internet was just a fad as people would say to me which i now laugh i wish i had their phone numbers and the discussions that we would have is well what are you gonna what what are we gonna use it for what are we gonna do with it why do i need a 15 or 1800 a month uh, connection in my office for sending emails and what can you do with that kind of thing and I ended up making a career for myself by listening really intently, not only externally, but internally. And and the reason I bring this up based on what you said is I became a top producer based upon doing exactly the opposite of every other salesman in the company. And what I was doing is I talked to the network people and I realized that our network was slammed during the day with businesses, and yet people overseas you had exactly the the counter clock of ours. So if we could sell internet connections overseas to people that were trying to get to the U.S. internet, we could do very well because we could optimize the network. So you have to know a little bit about the technology. You have to know a little bit about how it works. But mostly you have to look at okay, they were trying to figure out how to optimize the network because it was just like every other uh, technology out there. There's uptime and downtime, and how do you fill those gaps? and that's part of what i'm solving today with yellowbird is i'm trying to reduce the downtime of your professionals that you have in-house so that we can optimize their performance for them to manage external resources on demand i get so it, it So it's always, it's always that same thought process
0: but i was just going to say so let's nail that down a little bit that root level process you went through you were you run into this all the time in business we think the thing is something that needs to be fixed and we find that that could be one option or we could look at the underlying how people perform roles in a process using tools the overall methodology or what we later find when we use that methodology to create a business a business model so what you did is change the business model, not the network. In right. that, in that exactly. story. Yeah. That that's that's incredible. Yes. So tell yeah. me how that happens. Yes. So, so go ahead.
1: Yeah, so so and interestingly enough, and I could spend this whole time on the journey discussion alone, but I got into satellite communications from fiber, similar model where you got uptime and downtime of of when people are using your and you make All of these tech companies make money off of optimization. You have a finite resource of whatever it is, and how do you optimize it? It's called aggregation in the telecom world. It's called usage optimization in the hosting world. Uh, It's got simultaneous users in the website management world. But at the end of the day, it's all optimization of getting the most out of the tech or the most out of the resource, as I call it, before you have to upgrade. And so in the people world, which is the world I live in now, is I'm using tech to optimize human intelligence. And the intelligence that we focus on, the business model that we're disrupting, is there were only two ways of doing environmental health, safety, and risk. One way was throw bodies at it internally, hire people everywhere. And there are organizations that can do that. And these are usually very high consequence organizations, people in nuclear power plants. They have bodies that are sitting there on call all the time, ready to go. But then you deal with these organizations, no matter how large. You could be dealing in a, in a Boeing or a Raytheon, or you could be dealing in a you know, five office mid-level company. And they'll have gaps in their knowledge, in their capabilities, and their resources. And what we're doing is an on-demand platform on Go Yellowbird that allows for you to source that skill set when you need it. And everybody has a backlog when it comes to OSHA and compliance and risk. We all have it. Nobody's optimized. It never changes. Uh, You're going to have, when you finish one annual training cycle, you'll start the next. When you realize that your forklift training is expired and somebody gets injured on a forklift, you realize real quickly, you better get a forklift trainer out there. Uh, you get a letter from OSHA because somebody was fired and and is is disgruntled and they've sent a, a message to OSHA saying that you're, you don't have a good chemical safety plan. How do you address that? All those things are basically what we're doing at Yellowbird of, I've got this deep roster of people wanting to consult. And we have a number of clients who are currently a little bit of afraid of us because the people that are hiring think we're trying to change, trying to replace them, and we're not. We're, we're, We're really trying to make them into air traffic control. We're trying to get them away from firefighting. We're trying to put them into air traffic control. Where they're managing their resources better and that's uh that's what i do that's my that's my passion well let's let's
0: let's stick on that um that little bit of constraint in your model and that is yep the manager i i guess the manager who says are they trying to replace me but but going back to your model the way you described it it was very good most of these managers unfortunately are in a single shingle situation, where they have to do everything. It, it, even in a large company, there's these short staffs, under budgeted staffs, and it, and it only becomes it only becomes a problem when the consequences raise their bloody head, right? And everyone goes, "Oh my God, yes. we missed that. We got fined for that." Or we got hit on that, or we got sued for that, you know, the 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 old no no wine before it's time, you know, no budget before an incident, right? And and so they're managing those kind of programs today. So what you have to convince them is they now have a cheap, easy way, if you will, a much more uh efficient way to augment their program, which could make them look like good business people inside their company.
1: Absolutely. And search. the challenge with our model from a budgetary perspective is consulting budgets are more difficult to get than headcount budgets, particularly when your consulting budget is not tied to an individual. And it's a very interesting, and this is something that we're still contending with. We're still trying to understand it. Because you, you say, I need three people. Well, how much those people cost? Well, they're $85,000 a year on average. Great. What are their expertise? It's a very, it's put them in a box kind of a deal. Where do they need to be physically? That's when the challenge comes in. Well, what do the skill sets need to be? Well, they need to be generalists because there's so many things that are necessary. And the, and I'm still contending with this, with this challenge because what we're trying to, oh, excuse me. I'm so sorry. I know better than that than to have my phone on during an interview. (laughs) So one of the things that we're contending with is trying to explain the difference between surge budget, surge demand, and no budget and no demand. Because what ends up happening in the world that we live in is you come to the realization, and I'll give you an example of stormwater runoff. Stormwater runoff is one of these things that nobody ever thinks about. It's an environmental issue and nobody thinks about it until you have a major storm come through. I'm in Phoenix. And so we'll have the monsoons come through here and they will dump water on this place. And it's not designed for the amount of water we get. And all these factories will all of a sudden realize that they're getting all their stuff rolling out in the streets and fines come out the wazoo and people get scared. And yet, they don't think about it for the other nine months and they don't have a stormwater expert that's there on staff. And so they're, if they get the letter or they hear about the the letter or something to that effect, all of a sudden it becomes a high priority. And so what we're trying to do is, is let people know that when these things are starting to come down cyclically, come to us, talk to us about it and talk to us being virtually, of course. I mean, you can talk to us physically, we have people, but uh, the site's really, really good. You got to go Yellowbird and it's really strong.
0: That's awesome. So that's interesting. So your challenge your challenge then is uh, making sure those industries, and it'll be, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear what uh, vertical industries you're actually looking at as your high priority mm-hmm. for Yellowbird in, in its, uh, how long has Yellowbird been in existence
1: now, Michael, where it's actually been serving the community? We launched in January of 2020. We timed it just right before a global pandemic. Okay. <laughs> and, and what industries has been your focus in the early stages of the company? Well, if any entrepreneur tells you anything different than what I'm about to say, they are absolutely lying to you. We would take absolutely anything that people would be willing to hire us for in the early days. Well, however, and that went from universe, we went from university uh, COVID-19 return to school plans, because industrial hygiene and, and COVID-19 is an EHS service. We were doing laboratories for for biomed, we did construction sites, we even did mining. So but what we are doing now, to answer your question, because we've grown beyond that uh, uh, eat any crumb that falls on the ground, no matter how small it is. Now we're very focused on three verticals. Uh, two being the end customer vertical, which is construction and manufacturing. In construction and manufacturing, you deal with a lot of unique requirements. And each all manufacturing could be broken down into hundreds and hundreds of sub-capabilities whether you're doing, uh, you know, aluminum plating and things in heavy chemicals and welding and things to that effect, to assembly of, of clean room items are technically still a manufacturer. That, so that gives us a pretty broad reach. And then we deal in construction because construction subcontractors and contractors, when they're bidding something, they don't always know if they have the resources until they win. And when they win, they then have to realize that they may or may not have those resources localized with the knowledge. So I'm a Phoenix based group. I work on a bid for a Chicago based uh, oil refinery construction for 36 months. I need somebody who understands Chicago, who understands heavy industrial construction. And in this case, I need somebody who understands the labor unions. So you go on to Yellowbird, you find that person. We set up an interview because in this case it's the only case that in that scenario it's the only time that we are actually similar to a staffing agency but we don't charge like one and we don't require that you sign any contract which is kind of fun for us. Um, the third and the most important is the insurance industry. Workman's comp carriers do somewhere larger workman's comp carriers but even smaller ones will do in the several hundred to several thousand in-person assessments a month. And what they're looking for is their risk mods. They're looking for people to do an assessment of how risky they are as a, uh, for underwriting so they can price their policy. And the challenge is that one of two things happen. One, if it's a big policy, they send out a personal uh, assessor from the insurance company get on an airplane, they go out, they do what they need to do. It's a very multi-multi-thousand dollar adventure just to get the document filled out correctly. They do self-assessments where they have the customer fill out the report. Uh, Ironically, most of those are very, very good reports. I don't know why that always happens. And the third way is they find an independent consultant themselves through a Rolodex. And a lot of that is just Google and trying to find somebody that will go out there and do it. And you haven't background checked them, you haven't vetted them, you don't know if their certifications are real. All the things that Yellowbird does to make sure our people are top quality. When you go into Google and you just search, you know, uh, risk assessment consulting, you don't know who you're going to get necessarily. And I'm not saying that they're bad, you just don't know. So that's one of the things, those are one of the three options that we're solving for.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, when I first ran across Yellowbird, uh, and you heard me say this when we briefly introduced each other, but I, I wanted to call you at first a temp agency, and then I wanted to call you the Uber of temp a- agencies. And, uh, and 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 there was <laughs> yep. a, and there was probably a little bit of truth in each of those, but but the fact is what you've done with it back to that network analogy again, you didn't focus on the thing, you focused on the business model. What you've done is really created a, in a sense, a global infrastructure that allows you to identify where the relevant uh, skill sets are, in this compliance marketplace, uh, and and uh, and be a matchmaker with no contract, less money, fully vetted services, uh, and and no one had ever done that before. Why do you think that is? What what is it that that never popped up before? Is it a technology thing that happened that was available now that allowed you to do this? Or was it just you listening again with that deep empathetic nature of yours?
1: I, I wish I were that good and that smart. It, I'm not taking credit for this. You know, the gig economy you know they always say the right place at the right time and and an awareness to take advantage of something of an opportunity. Right, right. The gig economy. What I don't like, what I've never liked about the gig economy, and there's lots of people that are doing it. There's a group in town here who does waiters and bus um, and bussers, and there's folks who do nurses on demand, and there's folks who do uh, paralegal services. I mean, there's all sorts of vertical niche gig economy platforms, but the vast majority of them. Are high volume, low revenue. So they're not professional, skilled resources. So I, I liken what we do closer to the legal, or even paralegal, um, accounting, uh, maybe even nursing. Although maybe more high skilled nursing, not the not the lower skilled nurses. Um, and the reason. I don't think it's exists when I, so I have a co-founder, uh, Michelle Tinsley, she's a 26 year Intel executive. She's exceptional. She's very bright. And when I first spoke with her, it was a few months after I founded the company and I came to her and I said, I really think there's something here. And she goes, it feels nichey. And I said, you know, OSHA people really, I mean, I, how big of a market is there? And I said, it's a $9 billion market. And she goes, what? And I said, yeah, yeah, people don't realize how big of a market this is. And I think there's a lot to that, that if you don't realize the scale, if you don't realize the, the nuance, we have 170 certifications on the platform, 170 various nuances. And that doesn't even go into the industries. So that just goes into the individual training, whether it's confined space, or whether it be underwater safety, or whether it be traditional manufacturing line safety, where you're dealing in welding safety, there's all these expertise and areas of of experts, and so that's why there's so many individual consultants out there is because they find their little their little niche in their area, and, and I don't mean it disrespectfully, because a little niche in a nine billion dollar market is still a very good opportunity for a single shingle consultant. Uh, they can they can get five six clients and be very happy and make a six figure income and be very pleased with that. For us, what we're trying to do is optimize those folks, get them paid faster, get them matched more quickly, cover their insurance, cover their logistics, make sure that they can get repeat opportunities. And if somebody tries to get scope creep on them, which is what every consultant's worst nightmare is the whole scope creep concept is, Hey, while you're here, do you mind taking a look at my, uh, my chemical uh, management policy over there? And now you have a decision. Well, I'm here making 1500 bucks to, to do my work. I should charge another 500 for that, but I don't want to jeopardize this guy's relationship. So yeah, I may as well do it. So now they've just discounted the va- their value proposition where they can say, Hey, well, Yelbert didn't sign me up for that. Could you go on to over and just sign up for, you know, sign up for that and I'll, and I'll call them and make sure that they add that to your bill it gives them the ability to actually better optimize their band, their, their knowledge. So those are, I'm sorry. I know I keep getting on this pitch, well, but I'm passionate well, about what to do. <laughs> well,
0: well what, what's really interesting on that is there nothing sweeter than the value proposition for the end user and for
1: the consultant, nothing sweeter than that. What a great business model. It really is. It's a great business model. And let's be honest, it's a feel good business model. You can you can go to sleep well, knowing that what you do actually makes a difference. Like we can we are saving lives and it may not be I mean, I'm no hero and I would never I mean, I'm no firefighter or military guy or police officer or anything like that. But by helping people operate more safely, you help somebody from maybe losing a finger today or not getting run over by a forklift or Knowing the safe way of doing something, it's a it's a feel good industry. I mean, I know it sounds kind of boring, but if you think about a big picture, it's it's kind of it's kind of cool.
0: And that's why this has been a great conversation because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, having a business model that saves lives, that augments the expertise of others, that actually makes companies more efficient in the safety and security of their people. Uh, you can't beat that. And thank you, Michael Zell, for creating Yellowbird.
1: My pleasure. And thank you for inviting me. I look forward to speaking with you again.
0: This has been a great conversation. We'll put the link to the Yellowbird website in the description on your podcast and looking forward, uh, catching up with you in the future as you get through 2021. And I'm sure there's uh, uh, new things you can't even talk about right now that we'll be talking about the next time we speak.
1: I look forward to it. Thank you. It's
0: been a great conversation.